Leadership isn't for the faint of heart. It's dirty, dangerous, difficult, and disruptive. It will test everything about who you are. Unfortunately, as a leader, you're out front, which means you usually only get about 43 feet of good road built for those following behind you while you're running the race yourself. Welcome to the 43 Feet Podcast, where each week you'll hear from some of the greatest leaders we can find both in F3 and beyond. If you're going to lead, you'll need to be ready for the difficult challenges, for what lies ahead in the unknown, for what's lurking in the next 43 feet. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 43 Feet Podcast. Joined as always, I am with my good friend, Ralph, out of St. Louis, Matt Crossman. How goes it, my friend? It's going great, man. Good to see you again. Good to see you, sir. And you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you just returned from uh, an amazing trip uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And I know it's a tough job that you and a tough life that you lead, isn't it, Ralph? I mean, you got paid to go fishing. Is that right? I did. I did. It's a uh, very long story. I won't tell all of it, but there's a specific kind of trout that lives only in one creek in Missouri. And I had an assignment to go uh, catch one. And uh, so that's what I did. So that was, uh, that was my assignment this week. You know, for all those guys out there, they're like, I get sick of punching the clock and sitting in my yeah. cubicle. <laughs> Ralph's like, I had to go catch this, this rare trout that no, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's too funny. To you know, the reason I got bit, into to tell a little bit of the story, ahead. you can actually take yeah. now there is uh, DNA technology that you can take a bucket of water out of a creek just to, and not even get any of the creatures actually in the bucket just the bucket of water and water creatures shed so much dna that they can tell you basically every or almost every uh water animal that lives in that vicinity and there's even a relationship between how much dna will be in that bucket and how many fish are there so that's kind of what i'm writing about well see it was cooler when you were just catching fish now, now you lost me. <laughs> so, no, but today uh, on the podcast, we are joined also uh, by one Mike Gersh. Uh, and if you are a fan of Major League Baseball, you may have some idea uh, who this is. Uh, I, of course, being a fan of no sport uh, and knowing nothing of any sport, I'm aware that there's like some where you wear shorts and some where you wear pants. Uh, there, <laughs> there's somewhere it's a tiny ball and somewhere it's a large ball. <laughs> Uh, but Mike Gersh is uh, the general manager for the St. Louis Cardinals uh, there in St. Louis. He also happens to be an F3 PAX, uh, and his F3 name is Deep Dish, and we'll find out more about that in a moment. Uh, but welcome, Mike. Well, thank you. And we are a pants-wearing small ball sport. <laughs> ah, very good. Just and is, this one of the, is this one of the, the, the sports where there is some sort of hoop? Uh, that you must pass the ball through. <laughs> There's, there are no hoops, although there are bases. There are, there are bases, which is that. See, you're losing me. A home plate, even it's shaped nope. like a house. You, nope. you, you'd recognize it if you saw it. No, nope. no hoop, no nothing. I got nothing for you. It, it, some sort I've, of written netted... about, I've written a ton about uh, the motorsports world. In the motorsports world, they call everything that doesn't have a car a stick and ball sport. And so, baseball <laughs> has both a stick. And a, ball. and a ball, even though it might not, it, it applies to all sports, but baseball in particular. So, and in NASCAR, they also refer to football as a stick and ball sport, soccer, basketball, anything that doesn't have an engine, uh, is a stick and ball sport. 
even though baseball really is the only one. Well, I mean, I guess you got lacrosse and a couple others, but yeah, golf. largely baseball is the, the famous one with a stick. But that's okay. You know what? What do I know? Yeah, not much. I think we've been over that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, deep dish. The first question. Uh, you know, I, I know that a lot of times, you know, we're not ESPN, obviously, by any means. Uh, so a lot of times when we have, you know, guests uh, like yourself uh, that are, are sports figures, uh, if you will, on, you know, it would be incumbent upon me to ask some sort of sports question. Of course, I know nothing. Uh, so, Ralph, did you have a question, uh, a sporty question? I, I, I do. Well, f- first of all, uh, for people who are not uh, particular baseball fans, uh, I don't know how much Deep Dish will agree with this, but being uh, affiliated with the Cardinals is like living in the Vatican and being affiliated with the Catholic church that it is. I've lived in Detroit, Philly, Charlotte, and St. Louis. And I was a sports writer at a national magazine for a long time. So I feel qualified to say that the Cardinals are singular in uh, the passion of their sports fans. So I don't know if we will ever have another guest who has as many critics as uh, deep dish does uh, in, in a good way and a bad way. And I will also say that, uh, you would never know, like he doesn't advertise like big shot himself that he's the GM of the Cardinals. The first time I found that out was in a beatdown led by beans, an absolute beast. And we're next to each other in a, uh, you know, a going back and forth type workout. And I said, Hey, what do you do? I work for the Cardinals. Oh, what do you do for them? I'm the general manager. I'm like, you're the what? So, uh, anyway, the, the point of that, that all is that deep dish carries himself in such a way that, uh, he doesn't show off that he's the Cardinals when in St. Louis, if you wanted to show off the GM of the Cardinals would be like the number one job. That would be the way to do it. Yeah. That would be the way to do it. Yeah. But I also, I, I know enough about deep dishes background to know that it's uh, it's a great story. Uh, I haven't heard him tell it, uh, but I would like to hear how you went from not being in baseball to being the general manager uh, of the Cardinals. Uh, okay. So first let me say that Ralph is right. Uh, Baseball, the Cardinals in St. Louis is a unique, I think, uh, experience. It, it's probably similar to, to, to the Packers in Green Bay. It, it's mm-hmm. sort of yeah. a, uh, it, the, 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 the way I think of it is it, it's, it's like, it's like a, a college program. It, it's like, a, you know, it's like, you know, whatever, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor or, you know, Nebraska and Lincoln, like, except that St. Louis, it's a professional sport. No professional sport has that relationship with its community quite like St. Louis does. So, I've been really lucky that I, I sort of stumbled into St. Louis and have been here for 16 years now, I believe. 2006 was my first year. So, um, yeah, the way I got into baseball is, um, is not replicable and not highly recommended the path I took. Um, I <laughs> go I'm, on. This sounds like my kind of deal. <laughs> you have to know anything I, about sports to get in. <laughs> I, I did not play. I did not even play baseball in high school. I, uh, <laughs> I was, I, I am a, I'm a math guy. I'm an analytics um, finance guy. I uh, attended Notre Dame undergrad. I worked for a couple of years in Chicago at a consulting firm, got my MBA at University of Chicago in finance and economics, worked for a couple of years, a consulting firm. Uh, at this point, I'm about uh, 29 years old. Uh, I have newborn twin girls. My wife and I are high school sweethearts who were born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. I'm living in Chicago and uh, Moneyball exists not yet as a movie, but as a book. And the concept of working in baseball sounds way more fun than, than the consulting stuff I was doing. Not that I, I mean, I actually enjoyed the consulting stuff, but I just, 
I didn't actually care whether Walmart's Central American operations was like 1% more efficient. Like I just didn't really care at all. And I couldn't imagine ever caring. I don't know who would. <laughs> well, some there people are make people a career out of it. There are people. There are people. And, and you do get paid handsomely for caring. It's just hard to do it. Um, so anyway, I, I, uh, I decided I wanted to be the GM of a baseball team someday. And shockingly, none of them were just calling me out of the blue. So I did a research project uh, on my own valuing uh, major league baseball draft picks. So you draft a player in, in major league baseball, unlike the NBA and NFL, you can draft high school, junior college or college guys. You can draft hitters or pitchers and you can do analysis and figure out that at least at the time drafting high school pitchers was insane. Like 18 year old kids who throw 98 don't keep throwing 98. They get hurt and they don't make it. And they, they've never failed in their life. So it's the first time they failed. They never lived away from home. There's just all these additional risks you're taking. that just don't make sense. And you, I did this whole financial analysis that, that, that sort of quantified that. And I spanned baseball. I didn't know anyone in baseball. So um, like, for example, John Mosellock is our president of baseball operations. So I emailed john.mosellock, mosellock.john, jmosellock at cardinals.com. Email. Like, I just, you just made stuff up. Yeah, I had a Hotmail account. I'd hit send <laughs> and eight of the nine emails would bounce back to me. And the one that didn't bounce back, I knew had gotten somewhere. And so I'd, yeah. I'd make a note of which one had gotten through. And was you living in St. Louis at this time? No, no, I'm in, born and raised in Chicago, living in Chicago. That's right, you, you said Chicago. Yeah. That's right, I'm sorry, yeah. I forgot, I forgot. Go ahead. Living, living up in Chicago. And uh, so I won't go through the, every single detail, but um, I end up, uh, I, I span baseball. I got responses from a handful of people. Most of them were, thanks, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. Um, a couple of them were, thanks, this is interesting, you know, we'd love to have a conversation about it. One of them was with Mo, who was the assistant GM of the Cardinals at the time. Uh, I ended up talking to Mo. I actually, through, through a longer story, ended up having tickets to uh, game six of the NLCS in 2005 in Bush, in St. Louis, where I would have a chance to meet Mo and the GM of the Cardinals at the time was Walt Jockety and another guy who I knew through a connection, Jeff Luno, who ended up going to the Astros and has a whole other story with him. Um, and the only reason that game took place is because Albert Pujols hit a walk-off home run off Brad Lidge in Houston, the, the previous games, which allowed game six to happen, which allowed me to come meet these guys. Two weeks later, they posted a job that I interviewed for. I got an entry-level job in, uh, in, in baseball operations. Um, my first job, two things about my first job. One is if the iPhone had been invented, I would not have needed to exist. My main job was for people to call me and ask for directions to high school stadiums, to uh, check the weather forecast, to make reservations for rental cars, like process expense reports. Like that's the stuff that I was kind of doing. You were Siri. Yeah, I was, I was exactly. Yeah. I was Siri. Yeah. Um, and then on the, that was my main job. On the side, I was doing base, I was analytics and economic analysis and doing stuff I actually like love doing. But uh, this was sort of the job that existed at the time. Um, and the second thing is, I took a huge pay cut. Like, like a set. I mean, I was I had an MBA, was working for a good consulting company, doing well. Took it, and this was an entry level job. So I took a huge pay cut. I took my wife and my two twin daughters who were eighteen months old. We had just found out my wife was pregnant with our third daughter. We both had grown up in Chicago, all of our grandparents, all four grand, all, all the grandparents from Chicago, all siblings, and we moved to St. Louis. And that's the part I highly recommend. If you're going to go for it, go for it when you're younger and more single yeah. than I was. It was a lot easier Less then. children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a Your overhead is killing you. Yeah. So, um, 
so yeah, so I came in, in 2006, the, uh, we, the Cardinals won the world series in 2006. I felt like a wedding crasher I, up until a year before I had been a Cub fan and I got a job here and now I'm, I'm celebrating world series victory and getting a ring. And it feels very odd. Um, I, I end up working more in the analytics department, eventually work up to assistant GM and GM. We win another world series in 2011, where I actually felt like I had contributed. And that was an amazing experience. I got, we had a parade, the whole nine yards. I mean, as much as I helped Walmart, they never threw a parade for our, our little uh, consulting uh, group. So that was pretty uh, a pretty different thing. Um, but yeah, and, and and I have been blessed to have only worked in St. Louis, so I haven't had to you know move around. We've been successful ever since I got here, not because of me, but because of a whole bunch of other people doing a lot of good work. Uh, as 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 Ralph said, it's incredible like environment to work in terms of support and the community and everything else. It's a great place to raise your family. It's just a lot of things broke my way uh, along the way after taking like sort of the leap of faith at the beginning. So, well, that's our show. Uh, that guy's nuts. <laughs> Why'd you? <laughs> but to, to, to refresh your memory, it all started with I didn't even play high school baseball. Yeah, yeah that's what I was just going to ask. So, uh, you didn't play high school, but what, and I'm assuming maybe you played some high school sport or? Yeah, I would play football. Okay, so you're a football guy, and uh, and you and. Where in your brain was it like, I want to be the general manager of a baseball team? Like, okay, first of all, you know, Ralph told me the story of when he, you know, sidled up next to you there and was like, oh, you know, what do you do? Oh, I've worked for the Cardinals. Oh, I'm the general manager. I would have been like, oh, okay. I don't even know what that means. Right. And, and I'm not even being stupid when I say it. like, I really, don't, I have no idea. I had no idea. That was how, you know, I was like, oh, he's the guy, like. The guy. Well, yeah, here we've but, got. No, no, hold on, hold on. Let me think. Okay, okay, okay. Right. So I have no idea. I don't even know that there's such a thing as a general manager of a baseball team. So what on earth possessed you? So I would say that this all started when I was probably, you know, a, like a teenager and started playing fantasy sports. And cool. baseball, baseball is by far the easiest sport to analyze from an from a, from a data perspective, right? Like it's a pitcher versus a hitter, right? There's other people on the field, but like you can kind of boil it down to a hitter versus a pitcher. So even back in the, you know, the, the nineties, you had good data to like analyze and make predictions and evaluate players. And I started reading a lot of the, the sabermetric sort of stuff about baseball. You know, if I were, if I were, so I've my, I got teenage daughters now, right. I got a teenage son too. Um, if they wanted to get into sports, I'd be like, well, baseball's, it's kind of picked over. Like we've, we've studied the hell out of like the hitter pitcher matchup, right? Like go try to figure out how to evaluate like the left guard in an NFL game where there's 22 players running in circles and you don't know what anyone's responsibility. Like that would be a cool challenge if you were sort of starting now. But when I was starting, like the idea of evaluating like offensive linemen was like, how, how would you even begin to like the concept? Right. But baseball was a, an area where doing analytics was entirely possible. And so um, through fantasy sports and then, you know, like everyone else, I dreamed of being the Cubs shortstop. And then eventually I realized I wasn't even be my high school freshman team's shortstop. So maybe I should reassess my dreams and realize that I'm more of an Excel guy than an actual on the field guy. I, I, I have a question I have to ask before I forget. You, you mentioned the, the Brad Lidge, uh, Albert Pujols home run, which uh, Dark Helmet in 2005, that was probably maybe the most famous at bat of the whole season. Certainly in St. Louis, it's an iconic home run. And you talked about uh, pitchers versus hitters matchups. That's not one that's supposed to end the way that it did. Uh, so I find it interesting that you're possibly the, the entire arc of the rest of your life 
happens because what would have been predicted to happen didn't happen. Albert Pujols hit the ball to the absolute freaking moon. I was in St. Louis at the time. I remember that home run, watching it, sitting down and going, I can't believe, I can't believe that just happened. Because he didn't just hit it. I mean, he hit it to the moon. And so I'm wondering just as you know, a numbers guy whose career is based on predictive outcomes, yours is based on one that didn't happen. Yeah, I think, um, no, I think that's a, a great way to, to describe it. I mean, look, at that moment, Brad Lidge was like one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Uh, Albert was pretty clearly the best hitter in all of baseball. Um, it's sort of what led up to that. If I remember right, there was like a hit batsman and like a flare single that like found a hole that put men on base so that he could. Oh, yeah, of course. Race. No, yeah, you remember course. that. Yeah, Kramer remembers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, like the thing that I think I'm very analytical, but I think the more analytical you are in some ways, the more aware you are of how much luck plays into like life. I mean, mm. all the work we do is, is like counting cards at blackjack, right? It's like you're a 51 49 advantage, right? You're like, we aren't setting If there's something so obvious that it's like 95 to five, like people figure that out. Just yeah. you don't need you don't need a laptop to figure that out, right? Like like even I can figure that out is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say it out loud, but yes, yes. It's fair. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. But no, I mean it's 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 all about make you know finding small percentages and fall, small opportunities. And um, you know, whether a ball falls in play for a hit or gets caught, you know, whether a umpire decides that borderline pitch is a ball or a strike, like entire careers, parades, like celebrations, you know, a lot depends on those things. And you know. Ideally, there's enough, you know, repetition. Enough, you play enough hands to to, to 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 take advantage of being a little bit better than the other guy, but it doesn't always work out that way. Hmm. Well, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to shift the conversation to something that I have any idea what the hell you're talking about, um, <laughs> and <laughs> and ask you. Well, let me ask you this first though: Is uh, deep dish? Is that just because it's Chicago? Yeah, yeah, Chicago connection. Yep. How weak is that? <laughs> Here's this guy who's lived this impossible, amazing <laughs> life. And we're like, oh, deep dish. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure at, at my first, uh, at my first beat down, I don't know that I told people what I did for a living. I mean, the guy who, the guy, you know, Ringer is the guy who, who, who uh, you know, got me there. Ringer sure. knew what I did. Um, but I'm not sure I walked in the middle and was like, Hey guys, I'm the GM of the car. I, I probably wasn't GM at the time anyway. I was probably assistant GM or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, just said I, 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 I can say based on experience, I wasn't there, but I know that you didn't do that. I don't even have to ask. Yeah, no, and, and I can respect that you wouldn't do something like that, but still, I just, just it just me that that's, that's the best we got. It is. We, we do go for, I think someone mentioned like uh, Bartman. If you say you're a Cub fan, you're automatically nicknamed Bartman. There's like yeah. 80 Bartmans across. The, <laughs> across like a, there are. It's such a layup. It's sort of, yeah. yeah. But you got to try, guys. You got to try. Um, let, me, so, let me throw one other thing in. There. Yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. Deep Dish is the rare and maybe only packs I've seen out in the real world in a non F3 environment. Uh, earlier in my career, I was in the Baseball Writers Association of America. I covered baseball for a long time. A couple of years ago, the Cardinals were in the playoffs, and the Washington Post asked me to, to cover one of the games. And uh, this was pre COVID, so we're all standing around like a bunch of sheep waiting to get into the clubhouse after the game. And here comes Deep Dish. And I had been wondering if I would see him down there. And he's walking towards me. And I'm thinking to myself, don't call him Deep Dish. 
don't call him deep dish. And then what do I say? Hey, deep dish. Uh, and everyone's going to be like, who the hell are you talking to? <laughs> I think I responded, hey, Ralph. So those are. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, good. Good. That's funny. Yeah. Mr. Call Mr. Gersh, Mr. Gersh, Mr. Gersh, Mr. Yeah. Gersh. Deep dish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the programming is strong. There's no question. Um, so, and so now for an uninitiated uh, guy like myself, who just, and, and, you know, truly doesn't really know, like, you have to, I would think, as the general manager, I don't know exactly what the general manager duties are in terms of kind of a day-to-day, um, but I imagine you have a fair amount of player interaction. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, not, probably less than you might think, but but definitely so. Yeah, definitely a fair yeah. amount. And so I guess, what do you, I got to imagine you're balancing impossible egos uh, and a lot of other things uh, in terms of their external lives and the way they want to live their lives and all this kind of stuff that you probably got to try and figure out how to wrangle. So I guess, what do you do? How do you, how do you keep some of that under control? Well, yeah. So, or is that your job even? Well, so in some ways that is like, so, all right. In, in baseball, we have, the major league team, and then we have a whole bunch of minor league teams, right? So we have like hundreds of players around. And most every player goes through several years of the minor leagues, which typically involve like 12-hour bus rides between like cities that you wouldn't intentionally go visit, except if you had family there to another. I mean, it's not, you're not we going will from name like- name none in case some I'm, of you live in them. <laughs> right, I'm not naming them. But you know what I mean? You're not going from like New York to Boston. You know, you're right. going from like, you know, small towns, to, yeah. you know, you know, medium-sized city to medium-sized city. And, right. And- and you're riding buses and you're, you're sleeping overnight in the bus. And so our sport, I think has the path to the, to major league baseball generally eliminates like some of the ridiculous egos along the way. Like, mm. cause when you're riding in the bus for 12 hours and eating peanut butter jelly sandwiches for 14 consecutive days on a road trip or whatever, like, even if you were a first round pick and got real money, like you, you just get dumped in with all of the other guys. I mean, it's just like, it's sort of like a, 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 a part of the culture that I think, you know, it, it dampens it a little bit. It's, it's a little different than other sports where, and you know, like as a 16 year old, you know, you're the number one basketball player in the country. And then you go play one year at Kentucky. And then you, and like, you've never had, like you establish yourself and it never stops. Right. It's just, and that's not how our sport it. really works. So it's a little different that yeah. way. Um, and I would say b- baseball being based on failure probably contributes to that too. That's fair. That's fair. Like, yeah, sorry, it's the best fail a lot. Yeah. Say that again, Ralph. The, the, it's a, it's a cliche, but the, if you succeed as a batter three times out of 10, you have a chance to go to the hall of fame. Go, you fail 70% of the time you succeed 30% of the time. And you're over the course of your career. If you maintain that you're going to be an all time great. So the sport humbles you in the sense that, at least as an offensive player, you can't really afford to get cocky because you're going to fail seven times out of 10. Huh? That's not that, that, that look on your face makes me wonder if you grew up in America. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's not very insightful. Everybody else in the world knows that. <laughs> I did grow up in America. Sort of. No, I mean, I knew, I knew, I guess I did. And the, the, the idiot look on my face, partially just my face um, is uh, it, no, is was largely, you know, cause I just, I knew that like 30%, you know, like, and I, cause I use that joke all the time. Uh, you know, when somebody does something and they screw something up and I'm like, Hey, look, you know, you did it three out of 10 times. That's hall of fame. Like you're, you're good to get like, so I know that. Right. But I, I just, the way that you just said it though, just now, I, I don't know that I had really put it together 
in the sense that like that it's a game based on failure. That's this is a different way of saying it. Uh, so analytics guy, is that accurate? Tell me. No, I would think you say it's based I, I, on failure. Or what is, what does that mean? Well, I just, I just think that you have to be able to handle failure in baseball in a way that you don't necessarily in other sports. Like, I, I don't know. Mike Trout's the best baseball player in the, the world right now. and has been for the last decade, but he, he has games probably two or three times a week where he gets no hits. Right. Mm. Like the last time LeBron James played a game where he didn't score a point was probably like never. Right. Like he's probably like four. Yeah. Even then he probably <laughs> dominated. Right. Like right. it's just a different, it's just a different sort of sport for, especially for hitters. Like if you're not supposed to, to dominate and it's also a different sport in that one of the, one of the things about the way our sport structure is like, you don't get to have your best player come up at the most important moment. Right. In the fourth quarter oh. of a, of the NFL, yeah. NBA finals, you are absolutely sure LeBron's bringing the ball up court and he might not take the shot, but he's going to make this, the whole thing's going to happen. Right. It's going to happen because of him. Yeah. And if Mike Trout just made the last hour of the eighth inning, he will not bat in the ninth inning, no matter what you do, unless you get nine guys up to the plate. Cause right? it's just not his it's just, rotation. Right. It's just not his turn. Right. And so like same thing in the, in the NFL, right. Like, Patrick Mahomes is taking the snap and he's not going to hand it off late in the game. Like he's going to make something happen. It's it, the game's in his hands. And in some ways that's what makes those sports incredibly exciting because you know, the, the best of the best are going to like decide the score at the end. And in other ways, ours is like, it's exciting in a different way because it's like, all right, we got to make something out of the bottom of our lineup. Like these are the guys that we don't want to hit. That's why they're batting eighth and ninth. <laughs> all right, let's go. That's the you know, We need it. Like, we got to get something going here. What, what, what has your analytics? This is a baseball question. Uh, people argue all the time. Is there actually, are players actually clutch? And then if you go across the, the long history of their career, often their averages uh, like level out that there really is no evidence that a guy's better with, you know, either runners in scoring position or, you know, late and close. Uh, I, you're nodding. You've, you've dug into that. What, what have you found? Yeah. So, so it's, it's, so there, there are people have made clutch hits, right? People have clutch performances, right? David Freeze like almost single-handedly won us a World Series in 2011, right? Like that factually happened. Um, whether or not players have a skill such that they can rise to the occasion in pressure moments, that's really hard to find. Hmm. Um, what one of you know my kind of working theory on it is, if you, in order to make it to the major league level you have to be able to perform under pressure because in high school, there were scouts behind home plate watching everything you did in college. There were scouts watching everything you did. At some point you were playing for a state championship or a playoff or a conference title or whatever. Then you go to the minor leagues and you spend three or four years trying to work your way up. Like there's pressure everywhere along the way. I suspect that if like, you know, the three of us went out to, to play baseball with some major leaguers, relative to our like maybe baseline skill, we would crumble under pressure because like we've never like actually done this under pressure. But when you get to the big league level, if you can't succeed under pressure, like how did you make it this far? Like yeah. you must have fooled yeah. a lot of people, right? Um, the other thing that I like to point out whenever someone says like, this guy's clutch, I'm always like, why doesn't he pretend that every at bat is important? <laughs> right? Like <laughs> if you can be good in these 10%, why don't you can we convince, can we like, can we trick him into thinking all of them are important? Because 
instead of saying he's clutch, you're sort of saying, and he he's a he's a slacker the rest of the time. Yeah. But nobody would phrase no one would ever phrase it that way, right? But it's sort of like you can't. It's just two sides of the same coin. So I'm we generally believe, you know, it, given enough at bats, given enough you know hands of the, of cards that the percentages are going to sort of work out to what you would expect. You, you throw enough darts. Yeah. yeah. Hit the dartboard in the right Eventually spots. Eventually it all evens yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Ralph, you look like you had one more. Yeah, I do. Uh, um, the Moneyball era, you know, is, is this big explosion of analytics based. And then, you know, the old time scouts would say, yeah, but there's also a, a person wearing that uniform. And so when you're building it, and that I think plays into team building, uh, how do you balance those two elements? The, you know, the, the guy's stats prove what he can do, but he's also, you know, a, a flesh, you know, a flesh and blood human being. And so how do you build a team uh, keeping in mind all those factors? Yeah. So I think there's at different points, we acquire players in, in different ways, right? So when we draft kids out of high school or out of college, we spend a lot of time trying to get to know the player because there's a long path from where they are today to where they need to be to, in order to put on, put on a major league uniform. Right. So a lot of them, again, have never failed in their life, at least at this, at this activity, because if they weren't the best of the best of their town, neighborhood conference, whatever they would, that, that those are the guys we're talking about. Um, so trying to understand how they'll deal with failure, how they'll take, take criticism where they believe that they can get better or where they believe like, no, I'm ready. Like, as I am, like just, so, you know, understanding how they interact with their teammates, all that stuff's really important. And it's a big part of what we do when we try to make, when we bring guys into, through uh, the amateur world, when you make moves at the major league side, it's a little different because instead of talking, instead of going through third people, you know, third persons instead of talking to the, the high school coach or, or the, or the mom or dad and trying to like, you know, estimate what this guy's going to be like over the next five or 10 years, like major league players like know each other, right? Like they, they've been on each other's teams. It, it's, you can get pretty good, pretty good information from, from either your, your coaching staff or your, or your players about, you know, what is, what is this guy like, you know, would he be a good fit here? You know, and it's, it's, it's a sort of a different, a different environment and a different sort of um, question you're trying to answer. But I mean, the biggest thing that I've learned or that, 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 you know, there's a difference between having, we use the term makeup. Makeup is how you describe baseball players, right? Does he have good makeup or not? Does he, does he have his, his, uh, his work ethic, his approach, how he gets along with players. That's the term that we use. It's nothing to do with mascara or anything like that. Dark helmet. Which is Maybelline rating. But, but you know, what, what, what you would look for to like marry your daughter might not necessarily be the same thing you'd look for in a first round draft pick, right? Like you need people who are like sort of put a little more emphasis on their, on their sport, their ability to hit a round ball with a round bat than, than any rational person should put on that. Not through a hoop. Or not through a hoop. Um, but you need them to be obsessed with it in a way that might not be the ideal level of, of, of obsession for other parts of their <laughs> life, right? You want people who will, who will work their rear end off to succeed. And um, so it's, it's something that over time you realize that, you know, th th there's, what you're looking for is, is sort of varies based on like where they are in their career, how far away from the big leagues they are, you know, how close they are to being on your roster versus how much they're going to change because they're 18 year old kids. And Lord knows that I, I expect my 16 year old daughters to change a lot between now and when they're like 25 or whatever. So I, I, I expect all the guys we draft. I would to be hope. The same way. So 
but it is yeah. a challenge for sure. So, you know, you're tasked with, with, uh, you know, at least in part, right. Putting these teams together and finding the right guys at the right times and, and, you know, training them up. And, and you mentioned that there's sort of this, uh, I guess an, an element of more humility across the board, um, because of whether that's because of failure, whether that's just because it is baked in, you will pay your dues. Like there is no, right. like you don't rock it to the top and you're just instantly in there. You right. will go through this process. That is the process period, end of story. And so I guess, can you, can you speak at all to the idea that because you know, I'm trying to translate it into terms that would make sense for, for me, right. Guy who doesn't, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm joking about the hoop thing, but doesn't know sports and, and isn't going to play major league baseball. Isn't going to work for a major league, you know, baseball or, you know, sports team of any kind. Um, but, but, when I'm thinking of how do I put a team together, you know, and how do I uh, construct uh, that sort of thing? I guess, what are some of the, other than you mentioned obsession, you know, with baseball, I get that, that makes sense. But what are, what are some of those characteristics that you're looking for from these guys that, that you're saying, okay, we need to have some of this. We need to have some of that. Like, how do you build that team and keep it humble and keep it, you know, uh, 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 that way? Yeah, so so I'm gonna answer this two different ways. One sure. one is, I think one of the things that you want on on a, on a professional sports team is a good mix of you know veterans and young guys, of guys who have who have have had success, and guys who are learning how to have success. I think I think there's it's hard to repeat as a champion in in I think all sports because. There is, there is, you, you do have a small letdown, like you've, you've reached the summit and then, you know, a few months later, like you start back up again and you're like, I mean, we just, didn't we just, we just did it. Right. Like, <laughs> didn't we just, we had the parade and everything and now we got to have spring training again, like already sort of. So I think there's, it, it's good to have some, you know, if you're a highly successful team, it's good to have some guys who haven't been there yet. Cause they're, they're like, Hey, like, I know you guys did it last year, but I wasn't part of it. Let's go. And, and if you're a team that's still building, you want some guys who've gotten there who can say, like, trust me, it's worth it. Like, put in the work, you know, like, especially in a year like this, like, we, you, you, know, you can't leave the hotel room because of protocols. You can't, you know, last year, you, you, everybody was locked down during the playoffs. Like, like I know this sucks to put up with, but trust me, you know, it, it, it's worth it in the long run. So so there's there's some of that that, that goes in. Um, but to your, to your more general question about, like, sort of how does all this relate to you know, outside of putting together a baseball team, you know, we spend way more time than the average person would guess doing like budgets and HR stuff. And right. Like we have, a, we have an amateur scouting department with 20 scouts, give or take running around the country scouting and they need a scouting director who runs that department and he needs an assistant. And then we got all these guys in the field. We have all these minor league teams, each of which has a manager and a hitting coach and a pitching coach and a trainer and a strength and conditioning coach. And we have roving pitching instructors and roving hitting instructors. And we have a whole development pro program that's going on. And we, you know, we have a farm director who kind of runs all that. We have an international department that that's doing all the same stuff down in the Dominican Republic and scouting Venezuela and Colombia. And so we have an, a whole analytics department. So there's, there's a lot. I think the average person thinks that the GM of a sports team spends all day like pondering trades and, 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 and putting together lineups. And really like a lot of that is the manager. Our, our manager runs the major league team. He, he, he decides who's pitching tomorrow and, and, you know, who's batting third, right? Like that's not, that's like we, we delegate, right. We delegate that to him. Um, 
but we spend a lot of time setting up all the other departments and making sure they're running well and making sure that the analytics people are supporting the, the player development people with what they need. And the player development people are using what the analytics people are providing to make good decisions or to, to train players the best way they can. So um, I, I think as much as you, as much as time as we put into like the 26 man big league roster, we spend even more than that on things that are sort of like running any other, you know, medium sized company. Like <laughs> I have nothing to do with the business side of, of the Cardinals. So mm-hmm. like, I, I don't, a lot of people like love to ask like, how come beer is so expensive? Like, it's really not my department guys. I promise <laughs> I have nothing to do with it. Um, because it can be <laughs> right. All economics kids. Cause you keep paying. That's why. <laughs> um, but, but, on the, you know, we, you know, the GM of, uh, at least for the Cardinals, the GM is for the baseball side, not on the business side at all, but within the baseball side, there's like a wide range of stuff that we're working on or, or dealing with at any given moment. That is, is much more than what, you know, the average fan thinks about as what a baseball, a baseball or a sports GM doing. Do you feel, uh, as the GM, uh, I would argue you're a public figure. I'm not sure if you would agree with that or not. Uh, certainly, if you were to do anything good or bad, either way, you're going to see your name in the paper. Uh, how do you, how do you? That must have been an adjustment coming from the consulting world, dealing with Walmart's profit margins. What what is that, what is that like? Yeah. So, so uh, it, with the Cardinals, I'm the general manager. We have a president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, who was the general manager. He, he, he was the general manager since 2000, the 2009 season, six, seven or eight season. Um, so he's sort of like the face that people around here really recognize. Like Mo can't go anywhere without being recognized. Um, I, I was actually talk, telling someone this the other day. So I, my, one of my daughters plays, two of my daughters play volleyball. I can go to volleyball matches back when we were allowed to like go out in public and interact with human right. beings. Um, girls volleyball parents have no clue who I am. I go to my son's baseball tournament and a lot of people ask me questions or shake my hand or whatever. So like, I'm like a very selective celebrity in St. Louis, right? Like <laughs> the small slice of the people who know who I am and recognize me. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's different, but it's, it's, it's fine. I mean, it, it's sort of part of the deal, right? Like I, I've, I've had conversations with my kids, like when they turn 16 and get a license, like, Hey, like don't have our last name be in the paper. Like you just can't do something stupid. Like, and they all, they get it. So they, they know that if they're going to do something stupid, it's not going to be at our house. So, yeah. Or hopefully they just don't do anything stupid, but that's, that, that's asking a lot for, so. Could, could what be. are, what uh, those dads who talk to you, what is their, by consensus, what is the dumbest move you've made according to them? So the funny thing <laughs> is that if you go on Twitter or, you know, talk radio or whatever. You mean where everyone I, knows everything? Right. Everyone knows everything except for Mo and I. We're the dumbest people in St. Louis when it comes to evaluating baseball players. I have never in my in all the times I've interacted with someone, I've never had an awkward conversation like no one. Wow. Now, now, maybe it's because I'm not like at bars late at night. Right. Like if, like <laughs> if you're going to be an idiot in front of your 12 year old son by picking a fight with the gym of the Cardinals, that's kind of weird. Right. But yeah. But even like, even like when, you know, we've had bad, you know, tough years or made decisions that kind of blew up on us and people are super tough about it until they're face to face with you either individually, or if you do like a, you know, like we do stuff with season ticket holder, like Q and A's and things like that. And they, they ask respectful questions and you give them respectful answers. It's very rare. You have someone who really like, you know, 
their Twitter personality actually makes into real life. Yeah, that, I, <laughs> I was going to say I, that uh, I've heard that before where people are like, yeah, no, everybody's, you know, a genius and everybody's a, a, a bad mother, you know, on Twitter. And then right. you actually talk to them like it's, you know, they're just normal folks and have regular questions. And they're yeah, everyone, but, like, yeah. yeah, it's so much harder face-to-face -to, -face to, to be a jerk, right? right. Like, it's the same thing. Someone used the example, I, I can't remember where I heard this, but like you come around, you're in the grocery store, right? You come around the corner at the end of an aisle and you bump carts with someone, yep. you apologize. You like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Even if it wasn't your fault, right? Someone yeah, like- and, and nine times out of 10, they're like, oh no, it's okay, no right, problem. They do, right, Someone like doesn't even cut you off or touch your car, but kind of sort of cuts you off in traffic and you MF them and because they can't, they can't hear you. They're not there, right? It's really easy to like- Oh, I remember I was sitting at a, at a light and some lady pulled up next to me and she was, I mean, just flicking me off and swearing at me and whatever. And I had no, I mean, I had no idea what was going on. And so I rolled down my window and she's like, you could have gone through that yellow light. <laughs> and I was like, I am so sorry. Like, well, first of all, I rolled down and she looks at me and she was like, what's your problem? And I was like, I clearly did a thing and I apologize. <laughs> Help me. You know, it's anyway. First, but, I'll <laughs> apologize. Second, what was the thing I'm apologizing for? <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, it's, you know, I have three girls <laughs> and a wife, right? <laughs> Default is why don't I go ahead and apologize before we get started into what this discussion is? <laughs> Probably my fault. Let's just, let's just start there. Right. So Mike, you, you mentioned your son plays baseball. Did you push that? Uh, no, not really. Okay. I, he's, he, I mean, I, obviously we, we, he's come to a lot of things. He gets to come to spring training. He's gotten to do some cool stuff. Like, I, I think like what I do for a living pushed it, but I didn't personally push it because yeah, it wasn't like you're a Gersh, you're going to play yeah, baseball. I can't stress enough. I did not make my high school team. Like right. when my son was in like fourth grade or someone and, and like got a hit in like a game where like, maybe it was like even younger, where like no one was getting hits and people are like, Oh, takes after dad. And I'm like, <laughs> until he's sitting at second base with a spreadsheet, like solving, like, yeah. Optimizing the lineup. He doesn't take after his dad. My wife was a, a division three athlete. She's the athletic one in the family. Like if right? after anyone, I hope it's her. That's hilarious. What did she play? She played volleyball. Oh, okay. That's hilarious. Yeah. I can, I can see him now at second base and he's like, uh, he waves, you know, he waves in the, the coach and he's like, bring him the laptop, you know, and he's like, hold on. I, I, I got probability to get the third here. <laughs> Let me show you what we should be doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and you've been, so, and you already probably said this and I apologize, uh, if I missed it, but you've been doing this job now for how long? So I, I joined the Cardinals in 2006. Okay. Um, so, but I, you know, progressed from there. For but but you've been doing this general manager job. I mean, uh, for like three years now, I think okay. three or four. And so is last year count. I don't know. I, I it's is last year a season. Was that a real thing? You can't we ask like, me that. I don't know. We played like 60 games. No accounts. Did you but, still do stuff? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I mean, they didn't like fire you for a year. <laughs> no, no, whatever. Right. So, they're like, Oh yeah. By the way, since we're not playing, we're just going to pause you. Um, <laughs> but what would you say in terms of, how you lead now because you you are a leader of this team fair yeah of the organization yeah, yeah. you play a leadership role in this organization that's correct yeah what are some things that have changed and, and i'm curious maybe if f3 has played into that at all um what are some things that you do differently now that you did not do three years ago in terms of your leadership I, you know i think the 
the biggest thing, and maybe not, it's probably a longer evolution than just the last couple of years, but you know, I, I am a numbers guy. I, I do, we build models. Our, our job is to predict the future, right? That's like, that's what a, a general manager of a sports team is supposed to do, right? Predict which players are going to get better, which ones are going to get worse, who's going to be more valuable, you know, and, and, and make bets on those predictions. And I have always been very comfortable using analytics to make those, make those predictions, right. Using, you know, crunching the numbers and, and, and doing it that way. And I think the longer I'm in the job, the more open I am have become over time and, and continue to become to the fact that we can't analytically get everything and that there are peoples with really useful experience that can add to what we're doing. Right. Yeah. And so I think I am much more open to, um, to, to, to like expertise and the value of expertise than I was when I first started here. And I was like, look, I have the spreadsheet. I'm pretty sure this is the answer. Like, do we really need to ask like, you know, the ex minor leaguer who, you know, like his opinion, like, I mean, it's already, you know, um, but you know, you just, you're around enough and you realize there's, there's a lot of things that you'll never be able to perfectly model. Like the model is a good starting point, right? Like it's a good anchor to say like, Hey, we shouldn't vary too far from this because like we have actual information of past performance and all this stuff, but what are we missing? And, and what, what, why is this guy different? Why, why is this guy, do we expect him to, to age better or age worse or, 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 or add some, some skill that he doesn't have yet or, or just fit into the team in a way that, that, you know, that adds value beyond what we can quantify. And I think those, those things are, are, I, I actually think, everyone who works, everyone who's an analytical type person in our office, like you can tell how long they've been here by how willing they are to let other things into the model, right? When you first start, you're like, just use the freaking spreadsheet. Why are you making this complicated? And the longer you're here, yeah, you realize like, wow, if we had done that, we would have made some really bad decisions. Mm -hmm. And like these other people have really good things to add and we can figure out ways to make this, you know, make this, make a better decision by, by involving everyone and not, not being a slave to anything that we built because, you know, we never built a perfect model. Yeah. 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 Ralph, you, you had some. Yeah. I I have a very specific question. It's, uh, he's putting you on the spot a little bit, but you said you wanted Cardinals questions. Uh, a Cardinal fan, the first thing they're going to think of is Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright when they hear you talking about uh, values that might not be represented on spreadsheets. Uh, Dark Helmet, Yadier Molina is in the running for a greatest catcher of all time. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Adam Wainwright, uh, uh, all-star pitcher for a better part of a decade. They are both at the near the ends of their careers. I think uh, Deep Dish has probably been wrestling with how do you manage this because it's not just I'm getting to the question. It's not just baseball. Those guys are icons in the community and thus Mm. in in a fan's position, our opinion would deserve to be treated differently. And I'm curious how you, that's a great big soup. How do you separate all that and make decisions? Yeah. So there's definitely, there's, there's a few things that those guys provide that you can't, that that we don't quantify. I'm not saying you can't quantify because I've sort of made a living on on having people tell me you can't quantify something and then showing them that I can at least attempt to quantify it in a way that, yeah. Just give, give me a, give me a little time here. Hold on. I'll, I'll get you. A, I'll get you a number. Um, but, but the, the, one of the reasons the Cardinals have this sort of value or role or, or spot in this community is because of the history of great players who spent long careers with the Cardinals, whether it's Stan Musial or Bob Gibson, or there's, there, you know, there's just, 
there's real value in to the brand that is the St. Louis Cardinals and having guys like Wainwright and Yachty spend 15 years here. Hold on. Stop that phone. Um, sorry. Edit that out, Dark Helmet. Um, there's real value in having guys who've been here for that long finish their careers here and, and ultimately go into the Cardinals, our, our team Hall of Fame, and wear a red jacket. And, Ralph, you know, they'll be out there on opening day in their red jackets and, and they'll be out there for before the first game of the playoffs. And, you know, God willing, they'll be out there for a world series game. And there there's real value in that. That is not like, that's not as the guy who runs the baseball side of it, it's not my job to try to quantify that. Right. Like that's like a brand building sort of thing mm -hmm. that does nothing to do with balls and strikes and singles and doubles and homers. Right. Um, so that part is got real value. And that's something that we rely on, you know, ownership on some level to tell us, how they want to handle that. Um, the second thing that those guys provide is in the clubhouse, how they keep the culture, whatever the culture of the Cardinals is and, and defining that's really hard. And, and I can't put my finger on it. And I'm not sure it's that different than other teams, but whatever that culture is having guys who've been around for 15 years and have won a couple world series and have been to, you know, a dozen play, you know, all-star games between them, like having players watch how they act, having players listen to them, talk to the media and listen to them interact with each other sets, sets a culture that we want to keep. And th the culture of, of a group is, is, you know, it's fleeting enough that I, you know, we are always scared that we'll screw it up. Right. And one way to not screw it up is to keep the guys that we know are like, have been soaking in that culture for 15 years and let them spread it out. And both those, both Yadi and Wayno want to be mentors to young players. They want to work with people. They want to, you know, leave the, leave, leave the Cardinals better than they found them. Right. And so that has real value and quantifying that's really hard, but that's like a baseball thing. That's like how they interact with the baseball players that we don't quantify, but has real value. And then there's the separate sort of icon brand. Like we still sell, I, I'm pretty sure we sell more Yachty jerseys than any other Jersey every year which is amazing because he's been playing since 2004. Like who doesn't have a Yachty jersey at this point? Like, I don't understand who's still buying them, but it's amazing. Yeah, I, I was here uh, then and I was covering baseball. And if I recall correctly, uh, he was so good defensively that Larusa said he could bat zero and he's going to be my catcher. And that was incredible. He, yeah, I mean, so what do you do with that guy? You keep him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is what Tony said. And Yachty early in his career challenged that concept and, and, and <laughs> yeah. was not a very good hitter. And, and really he, he was such a good defender. He got to the big leagues like three years before his bat was ready to be in the big leagues. And, oh, and wow. he managed, he managed to learn at the big leagues where other guys would have been in the minor leagues working their way up. He managed to fight through it and turn himself into a pretty darn good hitter in the middle of his mm -hmm. career and, and continue to be an elite defensive catcher his whole career. So, so he kind of pulled a Mike Gersh. I don't think that's a thing. Oh. He, he he had no business being there, and he just wait, went. dark helmet. Wait, <laughs> well, hold on a second. That's Your not the moral of the story. I don't. Your words. <laughs> Your words. <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> so, um, we're we're coming up on the end of the hour here, but uh, if you, you know, as you look back and and think about where you know where the last. Well, to your point, I mean, a, a good number of years, certainly the last three and, and, and well beyond that. Um, but uh, kind of look forward for me. 
and not in a baseball sense and, and not because we don't all love baseball. Okay. We don't all love baseball. Um, but not, not just because of that. Uh, but you know, less in a baseball sense, but also more in a sense of how do we do, I mean, is one of the things that's important developing these guys into something other than just great baseball players, like how much emphasis is put there and kind of where do you see that going? Uh, as well. And how does that change in the next coming years? Yeah, I think as an industry, we, for a long time, we focus only on your baseball skills. Again, we talk about that minor league path that everyone goes through. There were, there was a manager, a hitting coach and a pitching coach, and that was it. Right. And then we, they, you know, and then there was a trainer to help you stay healthy. And then there was a strength guy to help you get in shape in order to be better at baseball. And now we have, sports psychologists, we have mental skills people, we have a whole English program, all the players that we, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing really looking back at when we would take 16 year old kids from the Dominican and sign them and send them into this minor league system without, without really arming them with any of the skills to know how to function in the United States. Like they, they didn't know English. <laughs> They'd never checked into a hotel before, you know, oh, they, wow, just, yeah. they just didn't know. They what knew they white doing. ball comes at me, hit that. Right. They, they were away. incredible athletes, incredible baseball players, but they, we just, we made that transition much harder than it needed to be. So we do a much better job, the Cardinals and as an industry of, of, you know, we provide, you know, high school classes to these kids, help them get their, their GED or the, the, the Dominican equivalent, help them learn English. We have, we, we, we just provide them with life skills. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, I think that is kind of consistent with sort of like society as a whole, like just being more aware of like the whole person, right? It's not, you know, right? like, like, you know, mental, mental health is a real thing and that we should all be trying to like, you know, help each other with it and, and have that be something that's on the radar. And, and so um, that's definitely an area that we, that we all invest in. You know, we want, we want these guys to be successful on the field, but we want them to be successful people. And we, and, and ultimately they are all, Again, when we talk about the brand that is St. Louis Cardinals, like all of these guys are walking billboards of our brand. To your point, when you read about player X who did dumb thing Y, it says what team he's with, right? It says, you know, player X of the so-and-so. Of Mike Gersh. (laughs) Right. And you don't, you you want these guys to, you want it, you want them to be good people and to go on to successful whatever beyond baseball, but you also want the people associated with the Cardinals to represent the Cardinals, the way, you know, our ownership wants us to be represented. Right. And so we, yeah. we try to kind of invoke that idea in these guys that, you know, you know, Ralph asked, like I became a public figure at some point, right. All these players in the minor leagues are not really public figures, but when you get to a point where you're putting on the big league uniform, you are a public figure. You can't yeah. just think that you can get away with whatever you got away with, you know, previously, or yeah, you can't or be an idiot for, so how do you teach these guys that, or do they just kind of know it? Cause they see it. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, is works, you know, do workshops. It, it's the sort of same thing you would do at any other business. Okay. You sit them down for some workshop and they, you know, like half pay attention and just want it to be over with. And like, it's <laughs> mandatory attendance and, you know, but you, but you try to, you try to like, you try to show them the, the, the consequences of their decisions, right. In general, we're, we're dealing, you know, like Wayno and Yachty are in their late thirties. They're, they're like mature adult decision makers. But like, when you're talking to guys in their early twenties, you try to show them examples of athletes who made bad decisions and what happened to them. Examples of athletes who did dumb things on Twitter and what happened to them, right. You just try to like show yeah. them like, look, 
everything you do is is under a microscope in a way it wasn't you know x number of years ago before whenever whenever you were in high school or college or wherever you were where you were more obscure you're not going to be obscure anymore and so you got to pay attention to like what you're doing and think it through and you hope that the players take each other under their wings because you know i'm not on every road trip and i'm certainly not invited to the post-game dinner you know with the players right like that they're doing their own thing so you hope that they help each other out and, and keep each other on the straight and narrow Interesting. I, I'm sure Ralph is going to have another question. I got one more though. Um, and, and that is that, you know, and, and this may have to get cut as well because it's an idiot question, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a sport. I don't know. It's sport. Um, I, I hope people are like cut. You've been cutting questions. <laughs> Wait, I, I, I'd rather not say. <laughs> um, so the, so I watched this movie uh, concussion, right. And obviously it doesn't apply here you know we're not it's not full contact uh, or anything like that right but you know i see kind of the 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 idea that you know we sort of and this is where i was kind of wondering about that whole like you got to find a kid obsessed with baseball or whatever like is it kind of a use them up wear them out you know sort of mentality sometimes in the sport that we just sort of like hey man i don't really care past you know the day you retire you're on your own best of luck we don't really care what you became as long as you won games. Is there still, is, is that true around the, around the uh, major league as well? So it, yeah, you know, it's, it's a challenge because you, the more you get to know players, it's really hard to think of them as, as anything but humans because you get to be around them and they, and, and like, they, they are just normal guys, especially our sport. We were, I was on the last, our first road trip, the hotel we stayed at an NBA team was also staying there. And when baseball players walk through the lobby, they're like between five ten and six, four, and they're like in <laughs> shape, but like, they look like, they look like people that no might walk by. Yeah. When the NBA team walks by, you know that that is an <laughs> NBA team. There's no like confusion as to what's going on here. Like it's like one seven footer after another. Right. So, um, yeah. it, it, you know, our guys, I don't know where I was going with that actually. Now that, now that I think about it, um, it is, it is when you analytically, when we value players and we try to figure out how we, we're going to compare this player to that player in a trade or which guy to sign, we, we are very focused on the rules under which major league baseball plays, right? And like how much is your salary in each year of your career? When do you reach free agency? Like those things are, that's the, that's the, the rule book by which we all play. Um, the more you get to know players, the more challenging it is to think of them without thinking about, you know, he just had a, he just had a kid, he just had a kid, his wife's pregnant, you know, like his yeah. mom's sick, you know, whatever, like, and, and we're about to trade him from, you know, somewhere where his wife and the new baby are to like, whatever, like, you know, you, you, you're aware of these things and it's, it, you want to treat them like people, you want to do what's right for people to the extent you can. Um, so it does become a little bit of a, you know, like a little bit of a battle between, you know, are, are we purely here to optimize the, the, the most likely path to the most wins for the St. Louis Cardinals organization? Or do we want to like be human beings and try to like do what's right by people whenever we can? And, and where is that line? Um, I don't think, I don't think we are in the same boat at all as terms of like, like the whole concussion thing is like, life-threatening right like yeah i mean like it's and, a different, it's a different level. I, no I, no but no no it's it's like a different that's like that's like a yeah different sort of challenge but look we have the, i'm sure you don't know this dark helmet but the way our baseball like set up 
early in a guy's career, we basically can pay him whatever we want. Then there's a period where their salaries start to go up. Then they reach free agency and they get paid kind of whatever the market will bear, right? But the first few years of their career, we can we can pay him whatever we want. There, there are players that, you know, you're like, well, he's cheap right now. So just pitch him. Like, like if we were paying a lot of money, we might be a little bit more careful, but like <laughs> someone's got to finish the game today, right? Like yeah, yeah. we're down 12 to two. We need to get out of this. Like, the, someone's got to pitch the last two innings and we're not going to use that guy. That's really valuable. We're going to use right. Something, right? And so, yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's like morally and ethically the best like decision we've ever made, but like, sure. Someone's got to finish the game today. And right. It, like the rational thing is not to use the really valuable guy or the really expensive guy. It's to use like the, the guy who's, you know, yeah. We're okay no, and and with, I was kind of taking that risk. So. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking it, of it in terms too, of just like, you know, we just kind of, we, we scrape them for all their worth and then we spit them out and we don't, you know, don't care, but it sounds like it's, it's a different, uh, a different mentality, a different feel than that. Yeah. I don't think, economy. I don't think our sport is, yeah. it's not as physically demanding in a way that some of the other ones are where like, you're sure. literally like, we, we all understand that, you know, 15 years after you retire, you're probably going to need both knees replaced and, you know, and never walk normal again. Like we're not, we're not at that level of, we don't shoot guys up with painkillers to get them through. The other thing is like our sport, like you play every day, right? Like mm. you, you can't in the NFL, you can, you can do some stuff to like make it through a day. Cause you have seven to recover before your next game. Like right. you, you, you play again tomorrow, right? Like, yeah like no one game is that much more important than the next one. So there's not a lot of, you know, you know, sure. duct tape them together and, and make it through and <laughs> let them figure it out there. after their career's over. So, yeah. Interesting. All right, Ralph, ask the last question. Oh, I've been wanting to ask the whole time. It will be a uh, completely off subject. Uh, yes. His hair is natural. Yeah, no, his hair is spectacular. When it gets sweaty, it goes like down to the middle of his back. He's got spectacular <laughs> hair. And I will also say I was at his VQ and he brought a dry erase board and it was at the Huck. That's uh, what we, uh, what the only AO I think we had at the time. He had us running up and down the stairs forever. Then we got up to the stairs. He'd have something written on the dry erase board that he stole from his daughter. Um, okay. This is a total baseball question. It's got you, nothing you, to do with leadership. I got to interrupt. Ralph. I stole the dry erase board from my daughter, not the workout. I, the workout yeah, was mine. Gotcha, yeah. Fair. Yes. I, I understood that, but yes. So it's a, a total baseball nerd question. Two-part question. Uh, it's the bottom of the ninth. There are two outs. You get to choose one pitcher to face the best hitter, uh, one, one active pitcher to, ba- to face the best active batter. Who are you going to pick? Um, the best pitcher in baseball right now is probably DeGrom. I think, I think Jacob deGrom, he, he has somehow in his early thirties added velocity every year uh, and has already won, I, I think three Cy Youngs, maybe it's two, maybe it's two in a row. Um, but I think he is probably the best pitcher in baseball at the moment. And the best hitter in baseball might be Juan Soto, yeah. who is like 22 years old. We just faced him for three days. Every ball he hit was 150 miles an hour line drive somewhere. And I'm really glad we're not in the NL East because we don't have to face them for as often as they do. I, I have an Albert question for you. I know he's been gone for a long time, but uh, of all the athletes I've ever covered, he was the best combination I've ever seen of natural talent and just ferocious determination, that obsession that you were talking about, about hitting a round ball with a round bat. 
uh, he had the best combination of natural ability to do that and ferocious attention to trying to get better at it. Uh, I don't know if he's the best you've ever seen, but uh, talk about those two, that combination that he had. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like he had, he, he had that combination of those two things plus incredible instincts. Like he, he was, he was a guy who was not fast, but could steal a base. And, and he just, he just had a sense for like what was going on around him in a way that, that is, I don't, I think people tend to say it's just like a natural thing, but I think it's just because he was obsessed with the sport. He, he, he paid attention every moment of every, of every game he was ever on the field. He paid attention to what other people were doing, what the managers were doing, how they were thinking. And, and he was able to just react to that in ways that were, uh, that were sort of off the charts. I, I, I was talking to someone recently and about Albert, and I brought up the fact that I grew up in Chicago in the nineties um, with season tickets to the Chicago bulls and watched Jordan win six titles in eight years. And I, I like to think he just took, took the other two years off to go play baseball for a while. Otherwise they would have won eight in a row, but my buddy mm-hmm. from Houston disagrees with me. Um, <laughs> but that I think is another sort of example of a guy who was incredibly talented ridiculous drive and just had an ability to put that together. I mean, I think there are other players who are very talented and very driven, but there's like the, the, the third, like the, the instincts, the sense of what's going on, the, the rising to the occasion, like all those little things that sort of add up to making someone go from being a superstar to like a, like a, like a legend, right? Like a true like legend of sports. And uh, I, I, I spent, you know, 10 years watching Jordan, which was amazing, was not involved, obviously didn't work there or anything, but watched a lot of games, went to a lot of games, and then came to St. Louis and watched Albert right through his prime. My first six years, Albert, I think, finished the top three in MVP voting all six years or whatever before he left, and uh, it, it was he was amazing. Well, I understood none of that. So uh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, though, it seems like there's a ton uh, that can be learned um, and not just from, you know, obviously not just from, uh, uh, playing baseball or, or whatever, but managing baseball and, and there's leadership lessons to be derived out of all of that. Um, and, uh, so if you, if you pointed to one thing that F3 has done, uh, that has changed your mind about something or the way that you think about something, what, what kind of final thought might you leave us with there? So, I'm trying to think there's, you know, one, one thing that there's little things that F3 does that I think create a culture in a way that I don't know that I appreciate until you sort of step back and, 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 and look at things from like, from a distance and think about it, but little things like, like giving everyone a nickname is a ridiculous seemingly pointless exercise we go through that brings people together and, 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 and adds like a little, a little something to, to the culture of the organization, right? Having, having all of the silly lexicon that means that when the new guy comes, he has no idea what's going on and just does whatever the person next to him does. Cause he has no clue what Merkins are or why we can't just name like a sit up, a sit up or whatever. Um, <laughs> I, but like all of those things, which, you know, it's a challenge because I think in some ways it makes being a, a new guy more difficult than it, than it needs to be, but it makes being part of the group more, much more meaningful than it otherwise would be. Right. Because you, you are part of, 
a culture. And I think that is something that I've thought about, you know, we have people around here. We have an ex big leaguer who, who's our scouting director who gives everyone nicknames and he's come, he's now an F3 guy. He goes by Lugie. He, uh, he's, he's come to some workouts and, uh, And I was talking to him one day in the office. I'm like, you do the exact same thing. You give everyone nicknames. Like, and it's just because in, in the clubhouse, everyone gets a nickname, right? No one calls anyone by their actual, like, you know, hospital name in baseball or in sports in general. Right. It's just sort of part of building that culture. And I think there's little things like that, that F3 has sort of reiterated to me can be helpful, not just in a clubhouse or not just, you know, at a beatdown, but just like in an office, like having little, having like, like CSOPs, right. They're, they're by definition, utterly pointless. And yet we do them because they, they add something that is sort of hard to put your finger on, but, but does add something. And so um, I think about how to translate some of that stuff into a not so much into like the, the clubhouse side of it, but like the front office side, like to, to the guys that, you know, the group in the office and how we can make people feel like they're part of something. You know, one of the beautiful things about working in baseball is that you get to go to games, right? You get to see the team play, you get to, you know, go to spring training, like all these cool things that are part of working in baseball. And we haven't been able to do a lot of that for the last 18 months because of COVID. Like we, there, there, no one could come to games last year. No one got to go to spring training this year. And so how do we create like that fun culture and like some of those cultural benefits of being around a baseball team when we can't deliver some of the things that, you know, we've had, we literally had new people that have worked for us for almost two years now and have gone to one baseball game, which is just not what they thought they were signing up for. Right. So how do we, how do we make it? Unless they were an analytics guy. But even those people like wanted to work. I mean, like those guys still like to go. They like to go with their laptops so they can look things up the whole game like I do, but they like to go. Um, but it's just, I, I think that's something that F3 has really made me much more aware of is that th- there's a lot of choices you can make that affect the culture that that can can make it so it's a fun place to work and people want to be here. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Mike Gersh, the general manager for the St. Louis Cardinals, F3's deep dish because we are lame and he came out of Chicago and that was the best we could come up with on that fateful morning in the gloom. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, brother. Thanks, man. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Ralph. Yeah. Good to see you, man. A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there 43 feet at a time.